a very good day to all our listeners. If you have been keeping up with the news, and I'm sure you all have, you would have heard of the takeover of, the, of Afghanistan by the Taliban, a fundamentalist group known for its terrorism, violence, and violation of the rights of women and children. When they began advancing towards Kabul, people tried to flee by climbing onto planes on the tarmac of Hamid Karzai International Airport, which is five kilometers from Kabul city center. You may have seen the videos of people on the airport tarmac rushing to board planes like one would rush to catch a public bus, uh, which was late to take you to work. A plane sent from Turkey to transport Afghan refugees out of the country was so packed with people that it could not lift off the ground. The common people in Afghanistan are afraid because many of them remember the Taliban rule more than 20 years ago. Many were risking their lives to escape a repeat situation and some even died from the attempt to escape. Mothers threw their babies over the wall of the airport in the hope that they would survive and be rescued by someone at the airport. Some were caught on the razor blade wire of the, of the wall. They preferred death for their babies than falling in the hands of the Taliban. So, I've given you this scenario to show you how dangerous, how difficult the situation is in, in Afghanistan. And all the more reason for us to pray that God may change the hearts of some of these people and so that they give the people in that country a better way of life. Now, supposing God sent you as a messenger to instruct the Taliban rulers to talk to them and to inform them to act responsibility, this time not to harass the common man. And you are, and you are sent there to confront them with their violence of the past and the present and warn them that God is going to judge them and punish them severely if they do not change. Let's supposing this uh, imagine, uh, imaginary situation would take place and God would tell you, I want you to go to Afghanistan and do this job for me. What would you do? I am sure you would consider this a suicide mission. There is no way you would get a commercial flight to, to Kabul to begin with. And suppose by some means you actually reach Kabul and made, try to make contact with the Taliban leaders, you would risk being shot even before you met them. Even if you succeed in actually meeting the leaders to tell them something they do not want to hear from a god they may, may, may not even know, they would probably commend you for your foolhardiness and then shoot you even before you finish your message. So what would you do? Now all these thoughts would come in your mind and you will think now, and you will think in your mind, what should I do now? Most likely nothing. You wouldn't even so much as leave your home for this mission, excusing yourself that corona, we have the coronavirus pandemic. You would be sure this mission would be a flop, a non-starter, and a one-way ticket to death. 
Yet almost 2,800 years ago, a prophet of God was given a similar mission to go to a nation that did not believe in his God and hated by the Jews. His job and a, and a Jew and, and the people who hated the Jews, it was both ways. The Jews hated these people, these people hated the Jews. So this prophet was sent to this hated people. His job was to deliver a message of warning to them that if they did not mend their ways, they would suffer the wrath of God. This nation was on the top of the list of enemies of Israel, hated and feared by all. Why would anyone want to warn them to repent, even if it was at all possible to get to them? This nation was Assyria, hated and feared by all, including the prophet Jonah. Jonah probably even reasoned that if the people of Israel who knew God did not want to obey God's warnings, by what stretch of imagination would anyone conclude that a Gentile nation like Assyria would listen to a God they did not know? Jonah knew the conditions in Assyria. Sin was rampant in Assyria. Women and Women and child abuse, pornography, serial killing, terrorism, anarchy, and a ruthless government was the order of the day. The daily news was filled to overflowing with violence, hatred, and corruption. Of all the nations in the world, this nation was ripe for God's judgment. Jonah may have wished for vengeance by any means on the violent perpetrators of crime beyond imagination. These people were incorrigibly wicked and deserved the worst possible punishment. Why would anyone even dream of, warning, of wanting to warn them to change their behavior, even if there was any chance of them doing so? They did not deserve a chance, and Jonah, a patriot of his country, was not about to be used as an instrument to give a message of warning, even though it came from God. So what did Jonah do? He fled. Instead of going 500 miles northeast to Nineveh, he went to Joppa and took a boat west to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away. He felt that God would either give up on his plan, choose someone else to do the job, or fail to find Jonah to get the job done. Now Jonah did not realize what King David realized many years ago, and is recorded in the book of Psalms, and we'll read this from Psalms 139, verses 7 to 12 from the Message Bible. Psalms 139, verses 7 to 12. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning wings to the far western horizon, you'll find me in a minute. You're already there, waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark for you, to you. 
night and day, darkness and light, they are all the same to you. Jonah could not escape God. But in reality, no one deserves God's mercy and compassion less than Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Jonah wanted this nation destroyed so they would cease to be a threat to Israel. Now today, Nineveh does not exist. But in 1842, a French diplomat, while, whilst working in Mosul, which was Nineveh in the old days, in Iraq, found a building that turned out to be the royal palace of the famous Assyrian emperor, Saragon II. When this site was excavated, the library of Asurbanipal was discovered with 22,000 clay tablets that turned out to be one of the greatest archaeological finds ever made. Studying these tablets revealed the life and the times of the people of Assyria. Now, Asirbanipal was king about 100 years after Jonah, but yet all the writings there give us a very good idea of the type, the, the, what the people were like at that time, what were the conditions of, at that time, and how people were treated in those times, both the people in the country and the people outside the country. So when you look at those tablets and what it says, and I'm just giving you a little historical background, is to show you why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Even though Jonah in his book does not give much of a detailed account of the atrocities of, of Assyria, the prophet Nahum does. We'll study the book of Nahum later. The book of Jonah is small a little bigger than the book of Obadiah that we read last time or studied last time. And Obadiah is the smallest book in the Old Testament. It is unique in that this book is unlike all the other prophetic books because it focuses on a pagan Gentile nation, not the people of God, and a biography of his life. The theology of the Israelites was that God was exclusively a God of Israel. The Gentile nations were not included. This was believed even though God's word said otherwise. God told Abraham that he was going to bless all nations of this world through Abraham's seed. Genesis 22 verse 18 tells us that. Paul referred to this scripture in Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. In calling Christians of all background, Abraham's seed and heirs to God's promise. So with this background, let us study the book of Jonah. Jonah is considered the prophet or considered the evangelist of the Old Testament, just like Paul is the evangelist of the New Testament to the Gentiles. And, and, and Jonah's basic mission was to get to the Gentiles, to, pro, to go to the Gentiles and preach to them about what was going to happen to them in the future if they did not change. Jonah is believed to be a member of the company of prophets mentioned in connection with Elisha's ministry 
in Second Kings chapter two verse three, just to give a little bit of understanding and background. His book is a biography of his life, but packs a punch that is often missed by the casual reader. Most people, even non-Christians, know about the book of Jonah, which is famous for the story of Jonah and the big fish or whale that swallowed him. Even though Jonah is a whale of a tale, only the whale is remembered. The whale is dissected and bisected with questions such as, "Can whales swallow human beings? How did Jonah survive for three days and three nights in the belly of the fish?" Which is the nearest point to Nineveh that Jonah was vomited out by the whale, etc. But the tale is forgotten, and that's what happens very often in many things that we read. Only the sensational is remembered; everything else is forgotten. But the punch is in the tale—a tale of miracles, God's sovereignty, far-reaching love, patience, mercy, and compassion. Not just for the people he chose, but all mankind—Gentiles, pagans, wicked, poor, rich, and marginalized. That is the tale. That is the that is the story that the book of Jonah conveys to us. But often that story is forgotten, and everyone thinks about the whale. It also includes his concern for all his creation, a love beyond measure. Um, and mercy freely available to all who repent and come to Him. So let us look at this tale today, and let us understand the message God wants to, us to learn from the Book of Jonah, and what we can do to change our lives accordingly. Let's turn to Jonah chapter one, verses one to three, from the message. I'm reading it from the message here. Jonah one, verses one to three. One day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them; they are in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went the other direction to Tarshish. Running away from God, he went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board, joining those going to Tarshish, as far away from God as he could get. Jonah obeyed God in getting up onto his feet and going. The only thing is, he went the wrong way, in the opposite direction, towards Tarshish, which is to modern-day Spain, specifically uh, Turin, in Spain. Paul also traveled to Spain to preach the gospel. So we find a little bit of a parallelism between Jonah and Paul in many other things that happen in the lives of these two people. Jonah decided to run away from God. Paul decided to run towards God. Jonah would have had no problem preaching God to people who were not pagan, but to a wicked nation. That was a whole different story, and Jonah did not want to go there, and that too, a nation that was enemies of Israel. The answer to God's instruction was from Jonah, no way, 
I'm not going to do it. So he boarded a, 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 a boat manned by pagans to Tarshish. Going on in verse 14 to 16, going on to verse 4 to 16, let us read what happened when Jonah decided to do, disobey God. But God sent a huge storm at sea, the waves towering. The ship was about to break into pieces. The sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods. They threw everything they, that they were carrying overboard to lighten the ship. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship to take a nap. He was sound asleep. The captain came to him and said, What's this? Sleeping? Get up. Pray to your God. Maybe your God will see we are in trouble and rescue us. Then the sailors said to one, uh, one another, Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's draw straws to identify the culprit on the ship ship who is responsible for this disaster. So they drew straws. Jonah got the short straw. Then they grilled him. Confess, why this disaster? What is your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? He told them, I am a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of heaven, who made sea and land. At that, the men were frightened really frightened and said, What on earth have you done? As Jonah talked, the, the sailors realized that he was running away from God. They said to him, What are we going to do with you? To get rid of this storm, what are we going to do? By this time, the sea was wild, totally out of control. Jonah said, Throw me overboard into the sea. Then the storm will stop. It's all my fault. I'm the cause of the storm. Get rid of me and you'll get rid of the storm. But no, the men tried to row back to shore. They made no headway. The storm only got worse and worse, wild and raging. Then they prayed to God. Oh God, don't let us drown because of this man's life. And the God they were praying to is the true God, Jonah's God here now, not their gods. And don't blame us for his death. You are God. Do what you think is best. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. Immediately the sea was quieted down. The sailors were impressed. No, no longer terrified by the sea, but in awe of God. They worshipped God, offered a sacrifice, and made vows. Has it ever struck you as surprising if you read the book of Jonah, that Jonah was sound asleep in such a mighty storm? Was he really asleep or hiding from being noticed? Did he realize that God was punishing him? But he would rather die than go to Nineveh. At that point, he did not even consider the loss of the cargo or the lives of the sailors on the ship. But God did not want the sailors to lose their lives. Therefore, this, the captain was inspired to go and wake Jonah. And when he found he was running away 
from God and eventually when Jonah said that he should be thrown overboard, he did so. Now, God could have just left it at that and Jonah would have drowned. But God had not given up on Jonah. He, his disobedient and rebellious servant, he sent a big fish to swallow him. We can see one thing for sure. God is incredibly merciful. People often describe God as vengeful and angry. Jonah knew better. Therefore, he did not want to go to Nineveh. He was desperate for the Ninevites to taste God's justice. Jesus instructed his disciples to be merciful. Just like his father in heaven is merciful. Luke chapter 6 verse 26. He expects all of us as Christians to be merciful. We have to search for ways and means to show mercy to others. One of the ways we can do so is to preach the gospel and call people to repent. We have we heard from the news about missionaries being in Afghanistan and helping out over there at the risk of their lives. Now in reality, God could have got his message of repentance in any way by some easier means or even by a dramatic way rather than choose a, re a reluctant Jonah. But in the process of following this particular system, he turned the hearts of the sailors to God and also changed the attitude of Jonah himself. Jonah chapter 1 verses 17 to chapter 2 verses 1 to 9 informs us of, of, of Jonah being swallowed by the big fish. And in the belly, Jonah, in the belly of the fish, Jonah prayed to God. His prayer of repentance and willingness to obey God this time. Jonah had a change of heart. Going on in Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 to 9, we read, Next, God spoke to Jonah a second time. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They are in a bad way and I can't ignore it any longer. This time, Jonah started off straight for Nineveh. Obeying God's orders to the letter. Nineveh was a big city, very big. It took three days to walk across it. Jonah entered the city, went one day's walk and preached. In the 40 days, Nineveh will be smashed. The people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. They proclaimed a citywide fast and dressed in burlap to show their repentance. Everyone did, rich and poor, famous and obscure, leaders and followers. When the message reached the king of Nineveh, he got up off his throne, threw down his royal robes, dressed in burlap, and sat down in the dirt. Then he issued a public proclamation throughout Nineveh, authorized by him and his leaders. Not one drop of water, not one bite of food for man, woman, or animal, including your herds and flocks. Dress them all both people and animals, in burlap and send up a cry for help to God. Everyone must turn around, turn back from an evil life 
and the violent ways that stain their hands. Who knows, maybe God will turn around and change his mind about us. Quit being angry with us and let us live. Surprise of surprises, Nineveh actually listened and their repentance was deep. Their repentance should have been put Israel to shame. God sent many prophets to Israel, warning them of what was to come to pass if they did not repent and change. But they did not change. In sharp contrast, Nineveh repented deeply. And that too from only one message given to them by a prophet who was reluctant to give the message. And they were given only 40 days. Israel and Judah were given years to change. But they did not change. Nineveh did so overnight. It is so easy for us to take things for granted, become so familiar with the ones closest to us that we tend to take lightly what they tell us. Children often discount the instruction of their parents and even disobey them when they should do exactly the opposite. I am sure Jonah delivered a half-hearted message to Nineveh in the hope that they would not take the message seriously. But they did. Israel had experienced fire and brimstone messages from the most zealous of prophets, yet they did not take the message seriously. They, the, the people of Nineveh were a great example to the people of Israel, and even in some ways a great warning for the, for the people of Israel. They were better off and much more noble than the people of Israel. He was fully expecting, now Jonah was fully expecting that they would not listen to their gospel, to what he was to tell them. He actually was ready to flee Nineveh with the king and the people in hot pursuit at his heels. He was hoping that after 40 days, God would bring down his judgment on Nineveh and he was looking forward to celebrating their fall. We see, we learn from the book of Obadiah that we should not look forward to the fall of our enemy. We should not rejoice at the fall of our enemy, but pray for them. We find that Jonah was doing exactly the opposite. He was ready to rejoice at the fall of his enemy. But it did not happen. It is not our message that counts, but God who takes our message and makes it count. Let us remember that. Let us remember that it's not how good we are in speaking, how good we are in conveying something. We may give a message, but it's God that makes the message count. Jonah was deeply disappointed. Let us read his reaction and God's advice to Jonah in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment 
into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I am better off dead. God said, what do you have to be angry about? But Jonah just left. He went out of the city to the east and sat down in a sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. God arranged for a broad-leafed tree to spring up. It grew over Jonah to cool him off and let him out of his angry sulk. You can see how caring God is to this man, Jonah. Jonah was pleased and enjoyed the shade. Life was looking up, but then God sent a worm. By dawn of the next day, the worm had bored into the shade tree and it withered away. The sun came up and God sent a hot blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head and he started to faint. He prayed to die. I'm better off dead. Now notice that God did these things to Jonah. What was Jonah wanting? What was he expecting? He was hoping that in spite of, the, of, of Nineveh's repentance, God would bring down fire and brimstone upon them and destroy the whole of Nineveh. And he would be happy and enjoy himself under the shade of the tree that God had put there. Instead of that, he was the one suffering and not Nineveh. Then God said to Jonah, What right do you have to get angry about this shade tree? Jonah said, Plenty of right. It made me angry enough to die. God said, What's this? How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight? about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get. You neither planted nor watered it. It grew up one night and died the next night. So why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong, to say nothing of all the innocent animals, What he was telling Jonah is, why are you so angry? Look about, look at the people over there in Nineveh. Do you, are you happy to see all of them die? Even the animals die for no cause at all? You know, when we get angry or we had a bad day, we tend to take it out on anything and everyone that comes our way. In this case, Jonah was taking it out on the tree that came up one day and died the next. Even the smallest irritant will hit us big time. Therefore, we find people get, get so angry that they throw dishes at the wall, break something, or kick the dog. Jonah was angry with God. This is not the way God should be handling things, according to Jonah. He was angry with himself for, for pointing for, for, to the point that he was about to kill himself. The sun beat down on him. But he stayed down, sulking. God in his mercy and love for his errant prophet Jonah grew a tree to cover him. Jonah was happy, but when the tree died, he was angry again. We see God's patience with Jonah, even when he was throwing a tantrum.
He showed Jonah and us that he is the God of love and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. Psalms 103 verse 8 tells us that. On the other hand, when we look at ourselves, we are selfish, more concerned about our own comfort than the comfort of others. Like Jonah, we are prejudiced, chauvinistic, intolerant of others, judgmental, unmerciful, and unloving. Jonah liked to define and confine God so that he knows exactly what God is going to do in every situation. When God did not do what Jonah wanted him to do, he got angry with God. Yet, God, yet, yet Jonah thought he had the right to disobey God whenever he wanted. Jonah learned his lesson. Will we learn our lessons from the life of Jonah? Let us look at the lessons that we learn from the book of Jonah. Number one, God is sovereign and supreme. In the short book of Jonah, God did many miracles. He whipped up a powerful storm that threatened to destroy a boat with Jonah in it. He had a big fish swallow Jonah and take him to the nearest spot he could get to Nineveh before he vomited him out on dry land. He caused a group of pagan sailors to turn to him. He got Jonah to obey him. He saved a powerful nation from destruction and taught Jonah and us lessons we will never forget. He even got a big tree to grow within minutes to shade Jonah from the heat. Nothing is impossible for God, yet we sometimes, by our behavior, make things impossible for Him. Point number two. God is gentle, patient, kind, merciful, and ever forgiving. Unlike Jonah and us, God is slow to anger and abounding in love. Psalms 103 verses 3 to 10 tells us, Psalms 103 verses 3 to 12, 3 to 10. He forgives our sins, everyone. He heals our diseases, everyone. He redeems us from hell, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty, eternal. He renews your youth. You are always young in His presence. God makes everything come outright. He puts victims back on their feet. He showed Moses how he went about his work, opened up his plan for all Israel. God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He is rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, no pays us back in full for our wrongs. God loves all his creation and does what is best for them, even when they don't appreciate it. That's the kind of God we believe in. That's the kind of God we worship. Number three, God is omnipresent and all-knowing. He cannot run, we cannot run away from God or hide, where He cannot find us. It is better to obey God. Disobedience causes harm to us 
and others around us. Jonah almost lost his life and with it the lives of innocent sailors in the stormy sea. God knows everything about us, even our hidden secrets and can forecast what we will do even before we do it in many cases. Number four, God is ever forgiving even to the wicked. No one is outside the will of God. He is also ever willing to forgive all who repents. So run to God when we do something wrong, not away from Him. He is ever forgiving. Let us remember that. Whenever we do something wrong, anything wrong, how big it, however big it may be, we can always run to God. Number five, never be too proud of our Christianity. Never be too proud of our Christianity. And this is a very important point. Sometimes non-Christians set a better example of Christian living than us. Surprisingly, but true. The sailors were reluctant to throw Jonah into the sea, even though they realized that he deserved it for disobeying God. They asked God for forgiveness for ultimately throwing Jonah into the sea. They were more compassionate and caring than Jonah was. Jonah didn't mind the sailors losing their lives in, along with him. But these sailors minded the loss of Jonah to save their own lives. You can see the, the, the contrast. The Ninevites repented deeply on hearing the message of Jonah. Why? Maybe because unknowingly, Jonah used reverse psychology on them. He probably told them that he was in any way against his will. God forced him almost, by almost drowning him to make and, and then take, having a fish pick him up and deliver him to Nineveh. He probably told them this is God's message to them. They can take it or leave it. And he probably told them, I would rather that you leave it so that I would have the satisfaction of watching you being destroyed while I celebrate with a bottle of wine from a distance. Now I'm making all this up. But, you know, I'm just trying to show you the attitude of mind that Jonah had as, when he went to tell, to warn the people in Nineveh of what was going to happen to them. The book of, Jonah's highlight, the book of Jonah highlights the fact that sometimes non-believers can set a better example and impart more wisdom than believers. We should therefore never look down on them, but learn sometimes from their examples, because they sometimes set better examples to us. They have better wisdom than we sometimes have, even though we know more than them, because we have the Bible. Number six is, obedience is better than sacrifice. God is not impressed by our impeccable church attendance, our position in society, or our outward show of righteousness and generosity. Many of these things we should be doing. The very basic things we should, should be doing. To him, our obedience is of greater importance. Samuel confronted King Saul about his disobedience to God. And Samuel had good intentions. 
he was going to save some of the sheep to be sacrificed so that he could use it to sacrifice to God. Very good intention. He was doing it for God in a sense. But God told him not to do it and he was going to do it. And notice what Samuel said to him in 1st Samuel chapter 15 verses 22 to 23. 1st Samuel 15 verses 22 to 23. Then Samuel said, Do you think all God wants are sacrifices? Empty rituals just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing. Not staging a lavish religious production. Not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in the occult. Getting self-important around God is far worse than making deals with your dead ancestors. Because you said no to God's commands, he says no to your kingship. Saul lost his position in the kingdom as king because he did not obey God in this particular instance. Number seven, we can't force God to do our will. We can't force God to do our will. God never forces us to do his will. He may create circumstances to point us in the right direction, but he does not force us. He saved Jonah's life, pointed him in the right direction, and when Jonah's mission was accomplished, he helped him get over his disappointment of succeeding in his mission. We should do God's will, not the other way around. Jonah had to learn that during what doing what is dutiful is not always beautiful. Not doing what is dutiful can turn ugly. Mission is a universal duty of all believers. To preach the gospel to others, we have to start from their level. Build the way up and pay attention to the rebuke of others, even if they are non-Christian. Weigh the rebuke against the knowledge of God and act accordingly. We can often be correct. We can often be corrected by their rebuke. And let us take what they say seriously. Sometimes you may wish that judgment and destruction should come quickly on the wicked. But God is more merciful than we can imagine. God's love is beyond measure and his mercy is free. Let's pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, our merciful God, who saves us from a lot of things that we face in our lives, who miraculously delivers us from problems and difficulties, from dangers that we may face in our lives and have, have faced in our lives all these many years. You're always there with us and for us in all that we do. Thank you for being there for us, Father. Thank you for guiding us and leading us in all the things that we do in our life. We ask you, Father, to bless us and help us to have this sense of empathy to, towards other people, a feeling towards other people, rather than being selfish and self-centered in the way we look at things. Let us not feel superior and look down our noses at others just because they do not know what we know. Help us rather to be willing and eager to share what you have given us 
with the people around us so that they can enjoy the blessings we enjoy, so that they can turn from their evil ways and turn towards you. And in that way, you have the opportunity to deliver them from the problems that they are facing in their lives. There are many peop people in the world, Father, in many areas of the world today that are facing a lot of difficulties that have come their way. You know uh, the difficulties that they are going through. Places like, like in Afghanistan, in the U.S., East and West, fires on one side, drought on one side, and, and, and floods on the other side. You know all those things, and you know why they are happening. We have all been sinners, and we have all need to repent. Even in this country, we've had so many different difficulties, floods in the, in the north, and heat waves in other places in India. You know about all these things, Father, and we ask you for your deliverance from all this, and also deliverance from this pandemic, a pandemic that has been so huge that it has impacted the entire world and caused a lot of problems and difficulties for a lot of people here. Father, only you can deliver us from all the difficulties that we are having. We know why these, these problems have arisen, because we have been a sinful people have not recognized you as the God who has created all these things and blessed us with all these things, but rather think that we have done and we have created all the things that we have around us. We are taking the uh, the credit for something that we do not deserve to be to take credit for. And rather than look after this beautiful earth that you have given us, we have done everything possible to destroy it. And we are suffering the consequences of our own mistakes. And even then, we have not been, been willing to acknowledge that we have done wrong. But Father, in your mercy and your love, we ask for your forgiveness to help us in spite of not knowing and not willing to admit what we have done to ourselves, help us through these problems and the difficulties that we face and help to bring a change in heart and mind of the world so that they begin to come closer to you and away from the sinful nature and the sinful ways of this world. We thank you, Father, for the book of Jonah and for the understanding and the knowledge that you are giving, have given us through this book. When we look at this book, we see there are many things we have done that go against what you're trying to teach us in the book of Jonah. We ask you to help us to repent of it and change our ways so that we treat all of mankind on the same level with the same amount of love that you have for all mankind. Thank you for all the, all the things that we are learning, Father, from even the minor prophets, which are major lessons. And we ask you to help us to remember these lessons and practice it in our lives. We thank you, Father, for your love and concern and for this opportunity we had to worship you and to, and to study your ways. And we ask all this in Jesus' holy and most blessed name. Amen.